This is just a smidge more with Brandy Henson. I'm Holly Stillings, and this is everything you want to know without an appointment. This is a weekly podcast where medical profession and real life collide. Welcome, everyone. Without further ado, we'll jump into part two with Dr. Courtney Martin. And going back to what you were saying about like the 40s, like how you feel confident mm-hmm. and secure and happy. Mm-hmm. Like I I was literally thinking about that the other day because, well, I turned 41, but I feel like since I've turned 40, like I, I feel all those things, but then I also feel very tired. Like, yes. and it might be all the things that I'm doing in my 40s, but I, I do feel that like mm-hmm. downslope in your 40s, so... Well, one of my best friends who's probably going to listen to this podcast will know who she is, but she has always told me the body keeps the score. And Brandy, I know you. (laughs) And you're cut from a similar cloth as me. And so when I, I'm exhausted. Yeah. And (laughs) so let's not, I mean, I don't want to be a a liar on the podcast. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, days start at four a.m. and end at eleven p.m. Sometimes, yeah. and it's hard. And our kids are yeah. in ages, yeah, where they require more than ever, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not a toddler. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I do. You know, of course, I still have a toddler. Oh, you but, do. You've got but, a good range. Um, <laughs> how, how old are your kids? I have a third. He just turned thirteen, okay. and then one that will be ten soon, mm-hmm. and then I have a three-year-old who's going to be turning four. Oh wow! And she's amazing. I yeah. love her. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, okay. This is, yeah. A lot. I was 28 when I had my yeah. first and a little bit, even though I was a medical huh. student than a resident, like more energy. I mean, I used to, I still take 24-hour call, which ends mm-hmm. up being like 27 hours of no sleep. And that used to just be like no problem. And it's true that like since I turned 40 and even just the last few years, like the end, like 5 a.m. rolls around and I'm like, oh man. Yeah. Do I have to get up? This is hard. <laughs> I used to be able to not even sleep the next yeah. day and yeah. do things. And now I really... I need to sleep. And I think, you know, that's one thing that I've seen and that's affected me and I'm sure is similar to you. Like as a medical professional, somebody who, and I played college sports too. I played college basketball. So, you know, my whole psyche and so many of us, I think, especially women, our psyche is like, I've got to work so yeah. hard and mm-hmm. I've got to just keep yeah. pumping it out. And, you know, I don't regret some of that because I think it's helped make me successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but like my friend tells me all the time, the, the body, body keeps, keeps the, the score. score. And I'm tired. That's ti- true. And I'm That's tired. That's we should yeah. title this episode. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I'm tired. And a lot of women in their 40s are tired. We are a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. And we have to, I've always felt like a woman, as a woman in medicine, I had to double it up and be even better mm-hmm. to be, especially as a surgeon, mm-hmm. to be credible, mm-hmm. to be um, believed in, yeah. to have respect. And so, that requires more. And like, I, I'm the mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of my female, uh, I'm sorry, male counterparts go home and their wife stays at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My husband and I both work. Yeah. And I'm the wife. Yeah. Yeah. So like I do my doctor job and then I go home and I'm cleaning. Yeah. I'm trying mom, to cooking. keep things together. Mm-hmm. I'm doing laundry. Like, and I definitely am grateful for the help yeah. I get and mm-hmm. whatever, but you're, I'm still the mom. Yeah. 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 And so I think for all working women, you don't have to be a physician. Yeah. <laughs> but you you know we start that's why we're tired yeah. Yeah. in our 40s yeah and it's the mental load mm-hmm. too right of yeah. all the organization Thanks. of the duties and yeah. the 
kid activities and mm-hmm. all the things. Yeah. I, what do you guys, what do you Ab- think when you hear yeah. that? I mean, like, Absolutely. we can't be. Yeah. I mean, I 100% agree. And then you have all these things and you're going, going, going. And then I think mom guilt kicks in. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm like, okay, well, then I'm going to overcompensate a little bit oh. more. <laughs> and so then I'm just overloaded. And my husband's like, why do you do this? Like, mm-hmm. our lives are so busy. And, you know, the kids mm-hmm. are fine. If there's a piece of dirt on the floor, it's fine. But mm-hmm. so it is definitely, I was able to do it easier when I was not in my 40s. I mean, still doing it, but, you know, so I've learned to get more help, have more help at home. And for me, that that had a little bit of mom guilt because driving this, like, business over the last year and growing it so rapidly, like, I had to have help. So I love it now. I can't live without it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, 100%. I think if there's any, like, overarching theme, I think that I try to portray to my patients and I'm learning to do for myself yeah. mm-hmm. is the word grace. Yeah. Yeah. Because one thing that's so clear is, and I see this in my patients and friends and I see it in myself, the grace or the expectations I have for everybody else are nowhere near the expectations I hold myself mm-hmm. to. Yes, it's that's true. true. And I see so many women coming in in like full-blown depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, so hard on them Mm -hmm. and it's mostly stemming from them being super hard on themselves unmet expectations that were only created by themselves Mm -hmm. and not being able to ask for help mom guilt yeah and just it's really a lack of grace and so it's like have grace you give that grace to everybody else Mm -hmm. and if you're a christian and you believe in that Mm -hmm. you know worldview and the teachings like you know we've been given so much grace yeah Mm -hmm. And yeah. yet we don't let it for ourselves. And I think that's the main thing I'm working on mm-hmm. in my 40s. And I think that it's working a little yeah, in that yeah. I feel like you're right, Brandy. Like yeah. I, just like you, yeah. am like never missed an event. I might yeah. not have slept in 36 yeah. hours, but I was there. But you will be there. You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> and I was taking them to Disneyland on post-call days. And mm-hmm. I was doing this and I was going here and I was coaching mm-hmm. and doing all the things and things I still really want to do, but yeah. realize that like, uh, it's okay for me to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right? it's better and, for you to sleep. Right, and, and learning that I need, and this is, I do not pretend that I'm anywhere good at this yet, but <laughs> the thing that's been on my mind and heart through some devotionals and friends and my husband helping to remind me of this mm-hmm. is to just try to build some margin into yeah. life. Yeah, for yourself. But, yes, because there's just no margin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, You end up just like every minute's filled. Yeah. And that's not really healthy for kids either. Yeah. And, no. yeah. you know, then your relationship suffers mm-hmm. because you're always doing things mm-hmm. for kids and you don't have any like downtime. Yeah. And I'm still not great at that, but that's definitely... So I think yeah. grace and margin mm-hmm. for 40-year-old yes. women is so important. I think it's... I think mental health is so... It's it's more acceptable right now. Like there's so much on social media and um, through psychology and every everyone is learning so much about themselves. I feel like the younger generations are much better at building margins in for themselves and putting up boundaries. And I know that's something that I'm trying to teach our kids too, is like, you know, it's okay to say no. It's okay. You have to have your own boundaries. You have to, and that's really what it's all about. I kind of think, I mean, I'm, I'm 47. Uh, You guys are in your, 
you know, early 40s. Thank, I don't thank you for that. I know, right? I know. Thank early you. 40s. Thank you. I don't really think that when we were kids or it was a thing. You hit everything. You no, no, you, yeah. you you hit it, you're fine. Uh-huh. You keep going, you know, it wasn't like it's okay. It's okay to have something wrong. It's okay to say I need help. It's yeah. it's 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 actually healthy. And 100%. it's a whole yeah. different method. It, you yeah. know, and my daughter is 13 and she always you know, she wants to be an orthopedic surgeon and and she's one of these kids where she says something and she that's it. Like it's in her head and she's not going to change. And I tell her now, I said that's a great profession. You know, we have friends that are yeah. orthopedic surgeons. Um, but as a woman, you know, you have to know that it, there are other things to that. There is a home life and a wor- work mm-hmm. life, and and you have to learn how to balance that. And and then she just told me, "Well, I don't think I want to have kids anyway, so it doesn't matter." <laughs> that might change. <laughs> She's going to kill me for saying this, <laughs> yeah. but anyways. But I mean, I just think that these younger generations are better in the work and. I'm sure with residents that you see, my husband runs residents, they are very good at saying like, you know what? I, I can't do that. I need a mental health day. I need this. And 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 I applaud them for that. Like this is a this yeah. is a healthy way to live. And I think for us in and our friends, we're all learning to go, you know what? I need to rest. I'm not gonna yeah. go to that. Say no without it's, explanation. Exactly. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay to say no. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm not there yet. I'm no, no you are yeah. definitely not there. Same, Brandy. I'm Absolutely a, I not. I know that, yeah. and yeah. I'm trying. I, we're well, trying. And I think we're yeah. all that, but yeah. I don't. I think in our in my 30s, I had no expectation yeah. of saying it wasn't oh. even a thought. Like, yeah. oh no, I'm going to stay up till midnight, and you know, at Christmas time, and set up the tree, and do this, and da da da, da mm-hmm. and be crazy, and not enjoy any of it. Yeah. And I, and now it's like, okay, like let's take a step back. Let's really be in the moment, be present, be all the things we read about and, yeah. you know, but then forget yeah. to do. That you want to be. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. It's true. I think the hardest part about our generation of women mm-hmm. is, you know, I look at, I had like, I have amazing parents. They're amazing. And they worked so hard. And, you know, my mom was a working mom, but she never missed anything. And mm-hmm. she was, now granted, she wasn't a full-time physician, yeah. but like, you know, that was my model. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. Um, and, but we were sort of under this idea that like if you worked hard mm-hmm. and you made good choices, that nothing bad's going to happen to you. Right. And that's a lie. That yeah. is a big that lie. Is a lie. And that yeah. is why I think we have so many women that I see or just in the world and society who have, again, just these anxiety or trauma things happening because they were, whether they realized it or not, their framework was that I'm a good person and I make good choices and nothing bad's going to happen. So then when something bad happens, because it inevitably will, right? And I'm one of these people. When it's something like your world crumbles and you're like, Mm -hmm. what else bad's going to happen? And you try to reach out to control Mm -hmm. things that really can't be controlled. And you just, your brain just goes into this like anxiety, Mm -hmm. you know, um, trauma Mm -hmm. phase. And it's so hard. And I think this next generation because they're they aren't really believing that mm-hmm. um, or that they have to kill it and yeah. they have to be better and work harder to mm-hmm. achieve and that the achievement is where some of the worth comes from that doesn't seem to be that this generation's issue but that's our generation's yeah. issue yeah it is yeah. you know like i've worked really hard <laughs> in therapy and myself to separate that my worth doesn't come from my productivity mm-hmm. and my output and how many pub papers I publish, yeah. how much, how many, um, you know, how clean my house is, mm-hmm. how all the things that we assign worth to, yeah. I'm reminded that my worth comes from 
for me, mm-hmm. my belief in God yeah. and his love for me. And that means that no matter what, I am loved and valued. And that wasn't whether it was intentional. I know it wasn't intentional, yeah. but like the culture I was raised in mm-hmm. as a high achieving firstborn female yeah. Yeah. was like, that's this is you got to kill it. Yeah. yeah. And you're gonna have to work harder mm-hmm. to be credible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't regret so much of it. I am grateful that I'm at a place, I think, where I recognize yeah. some of those pathologies. Yeah. And I don't blame anybody yeah. for them. Right. Yeah. And, but I think learning from that is helpful as we have daughters and this other generation yeah. and to give myself grace because yeah. I forgive myself mm-hmm. for some of that overworking. Yeah. There. I don't know. What do you think, Brandy? Does no, that bring up for I mean, you? Because I, I think you, again, I, in the medical field. I 100% can relate to everything that you're saying. Because I'm like, wait, are we the same person? I know. <laughs> um, no, it is. And I think, you know, my friend Melody is same thing, like through therapy, which I think everybody should be in therapy. I'm Absol- just going to absolutely like, agree. I love it. I love when I get to talk to my Well, I always therapist. joke. It's like an hour you get to go talk about yourself and yes. no one's judging you. Right. You're like, God, she doesn't shut up about herself. It's like, I'm paying yeah. And they'll actually make sense you of have, you. You have, have to, to listen, listen. You're okay. to what I say. You're okay. Without letting you interject. No, yeah. no. I think it's amazing. And I think it brings a lot of perspective. But, you know, my friend Melody is great at this because she knows how I am. Like I take all these things on and I try to control everything. And I'm 10 steps down one rabbit hole of what could happen. And I'm preparing for all those things. And she's like, what if you just gave them all to God? Like, what if you just let them go and like, don't pick them back up. I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, that makes me nervous to not like go back mm-hmm. over there and pick them up. But I am learning how to do that. And even my counselor is really good at like coming back to things because mm-hmm. I'll gloss over things. And she'll be like, wait, hold on. Coming back to that. I'm like, well, I didn't really want to go back to that. That's yes. why I glossed over it. But <laughs> no, I, I think that it's good. And I think like these last two years, I've learned a lot to say no. Like, same thing. I've never missed, you know, any of my kids' functions. I will move patients. I will, like, move the earth to get to them. And it's, you know, it's okay. Like, I'm teaching my daughters. It's okay to sit still. It's okay to not do everything, not be everything, not, you know, because before I'd be like, wait, you're, you know, they're like, I just spent an hour cleaning my room. I'm like, well, that's great, but it's still messy. And now I'm like, great, thank you, like, so much. And even if there's stuff, like, still messy, I just walk out. I'm like, whatever. It's their room. They live in it. But... It's, I, I'm more trying to, and I think maybe just because Kennedy turned 13 yesterday is I'm like, crap, like we're almost like, she's going to like those next five years are going to go by so fast. And then she's going to be going to college. What is it? We all have 13 year olds. And I have to tell you, I, I, I'm going to admit this, but I cried like that whole night before he turned 13. And I was like, why am I so emotional about this? Yes. And I think for whatever reason, like the number 13, yes, there's this like reverence to like, mm-hmm. they're almost grown. you're going to be in high school and that's going to yeah. fly. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, and Once I, they're in high school, it's just like, boom, well, it's done. It's like a month. It's done. It's yeah. like a month. You it's know? done. And I think there's a piece that it's not selfish, but it's sort of like, just like the piece when I knew I wasn't going to have any more children. Yeah. I was like, how am I at this place? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so the same thing is like, how am I at this place where I have a teenager? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you grieve a little bit your own aging. Yeah. Yeah. For me, that was some of it. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. It was hard. Mm-hmm. Like she was excited to turn 13. I'm like, wait, I'm not excited for this. Like <laughs> this is going to go so fast. And then my, mm-hmm. you know, she wants to go to San Diego for college. And, you know, my husband's looking at places down there now, like condos to buy. And I'm like, wait, I'm not ready for this. Like yeah. she's, I know we're a little ahead of ourselves. She's 13, but I feel like the the years that I have left with her are so short. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to like 
sit still, enjoy those, Mm -hmm. spend more time doing the things that she wants to do because she's in reality, she's not going to remember I made every single, you know, school event or I bought her every single thing she wanted. I think she's going to remember the time that we spend. Mm -hmm. And so for her now, if I can tell her like, Kennedy, put your phone down, Mm -hmm. she will talk. I will get all sorts of Mm -hmm. like gossip from Mm -hmm. school. I mean, she'll she'll talk and talk and talk. They're hilarious. But if I just, if I'm not there and I'm absent, I'm missing all that time. Mm -hmm. So now for the next five years, I'm going to be in her business all the time. (laughs) I I love the age of 13 right now. I actually said 11 and 12 were not my favorite. I don't know what was going on and we talk about this openly in our house but like oh my gosh we our my daughter Reed is just she's literally the best but she's a powerhouse and uh, she has no problem telling you what her boundaries are and like I'm not going to do that that's and amazing. I am, and but what's inspiring but, right but I like, feel God, like our kids just like they're better hopefully better versions of us exactly yeah. And, yeah. I mean it, and sometimes I wish they were a little less you know like take it down a <laughs> notch but I do like 13 once they turn 13 you know we're five months past that in the middle of the year and like I feel like we're hitting this slipstream where like it's just really fun right now and they're turning into these young adults that you have these conversations with that are actually like super interesting and they're becoming, I hate to say this, but it's like your friend. I know there's some psychological thing that you probably shouldn't say that, but, but it's true. They're like a little buddy and and it's so fun. I know I'm going to hit another year or whatever hormones, however it goes (laughs) that I'm like, okay, this is a disaster. But right now it's 13 is fun. It's a good year. So true. And they're little like adults that have this capacity to have a conversation with you that's like in a different way than it used to be. So I think yeah. you're right. But it does remind me like teenage girls. I see <gasps> a lot of um, people like wishing away symptoms yeah. and that I think it's important since we're talking a little mm-hmm. bit about the teenagers. Like again, it's not normal to be like missing school because yeah. your period hurts yeah. and yeah. things like that. So um and having like really, um, you know, constant bleeding. Um, I see little girls that we have to admit for transfusions because mm-hmm. they just bleed so much. So like, oh, that's not normal. Don't be afraid to bring a mm-hmm. teen in. They don't necessarily need a pelvic exam. Like I often won't even do them. I'm not trying to torture yeah. anybody, but yeah. like at least see a gynecologist, not necessarily just a primary. Yeah. So if there's symptoms or their pain, because even endometriosis is something, you know, that is one of my specialties and... We want to diagnose it early mm-hmm. because I don't like it when I get a 30-year-old who now has an obliterated pelvis that looks like someone poured super glue in that mm-hmm. I have to spend six hours with a robot separating everything. Um, if we can catch it when they're teens, we reduce the chance of infertility. We save them so much mm-hmm. of their life without pain. And yeah. it really is so important to not be afraid of like making a diagnosis. I mean, I remember when I was in high school and college, I was told all the time it was normal that like I was in so much pain or I had my legs go numb and I was like missing basketball games like, Mm -hmm. and nobody, oh, it's normal. Like I'm so mad about that still. And so I really think it's important to get that message out potentially on here because there's probably a lot of people who will listen who have uh, teenage daughters. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to establish too, like when they're 13, 14, 15, maybe 15 if there's no issues, just because again, getting them in front of a young, cool, hip OBGYN that Mm -hmm. can be another person for them. Um, While we say you should tell your mother everything, we know that not everybody tells their mom everything. Mm -hmm. But to have another person who's like got sound judgment and can be there in case of problems, like I always tell them, 
at the 15, 16 visit, like I talked to them about binge drinking mm-hmm. and um, being safe. Yeah. And I try to always encourage abstinence and things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's realities and mm-hmm. they need to have a safe person that I always encourage should be your mom. But if yeah. you ever aren't comfortable, you can always call me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of OBGYNs really like that teenage mm-hmm. years, but especially before they go to college, right? Talking to them about being safe at parties and these kind of things and, and protection and mm-hmm. birth control for like, just because you don't want to bleed every month. Like there's mm-hmm. actually no reason to have a period if you're not trying to get pregnant. So yeah. there, these medicines and things we can do are, are super safe. They actually reduce the risk of cancers in some mm-hmm. cases and there's no reason people should suffer. So I think like, don't be afraid to bring your teen to a gynecologist, a good gynecologist, yes. right? What What is the age that you would recommend that yeah, around, you know you have your first, but if you're not having issues? Probably 15, 16. 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And then what's cool about that too is then you get a partnership and then mm-hmm. as they, like I have a few them. that, you know, I started seeing when they were that age that now have graduated college and getting married. Mm-hmm. And then I'm talking to them about that. So yeah. it's just a really fun thing and to have somebody that they... Yeah can trust. So after this podcast, your patient population's about to get a lot younger. (laughs) Hey, well, that's, that'll be good because I'm, you know, (laughs) I know I, um, I really think there's just so much amazingness about being in the medical career, you know, like regardless of what you pick, but I obviously really like being an OBGYN Mm -hmm. for the reasons we've talked about, you know, like you, it feels really special to be able to hear some of people's like most intimate Mm -hmm details and be trusted with their stories and yeah. and to help them and yeah. give them their life back. I mean, like that's the greatest gift about being yeah. a physician or working in the healthcare field for sure. Yeah. I have so many friends who are still suffering <coughs> from, uh, you know, endometriosis um, in their 40s. And uh, what do you think the best treatment is for that? Yeah. So it's so painful. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, it's debilitating. I have one friend and she's just been struggling with it for years. Oh, I, I feel so bad. I think for, again, all women with pelvic pain, because again, so many have been marginalized and not heard. Um, however, if we, there's really the, the main way you make a diagnosis of endometriosis is you need a laparoscopy mm-hmm. and a pathology sample or an expert to look. And what's hard is imaging and things can miss a lot of endometriosis. So this is part of why people get misdiagnosed a lot. So when people come and they're like, oh, I have endometriosis, but they've never had a surgery. I'm like, no, we're not, ta- we're not taking care of you right, right? Mm-hmm. You need a laparoscopy. We need to look and see. Um, and the other thing about endometriosis that's really frustrating is that I have patients who have like huge endometriomas, which are cysts on their ovaries filled with this like chocolate fluid, everything stuck together and they have like moderate or minimal pain. And then I have other women who have what I would call macroscopic endo, where I can see it with my eyes when I do their surgery and they're debilitated. And so the problem with endometriosis is it can grow on all the organs Mm -hmm. and it can cause serious problems and pain. So a lot of the places it grows is like on the bowels and the bladder and behind the uterus on the rectum and vaginal area. And that causes so many bowel symptoms that people go to GI doctors. Interesting. They think they have whatever. They get really bloated because the endometriosis, when it flares, causes the bowels to stop moving. And then you get gas in the bowels. It's mm-hmm. painful. and Or they get painful urination. They think they have urinary tract infections all the time. But really, they need somebody to just look and make the diagnosis. And so when you ask, what's the treatment? This has been a paradigm shift actually in the last few years. And now the treatment is even though we know it's not cancer, we treat it like cancer and we go in and we resect and we're Mm -hmm. aggressive about resecting all of the, you know, most of the pelvic peritoneum 
which is this overlay of all of the organs and the pelvic sidewalls. Um, we any visible endometriosis should be removed. And historically, people would just burn it, and that's a problem because it doesn't last, and it doesn't address the underneath growth, and it doesn't fix the microscopic stuff that's present that you can't see when you're operating. Mm-hmm. I don't have a microscope in my face, yeah, or my eyes. That'd so be nice. That'd be really <laughs> awesome, actually. But I don't have that, yeah. so be aggressive. And so um, that's the first treatment is making the diagnosis. The second treatment is surgical resection. And then the third treatment is I tell women, you either need to actively be trying to have a baby or you're on suppression because every month you cycle, you're just growing it more potentially. And so, and often the symptoms are worse the week before on the period. And Mm -hmm. there's no reason to have a period, but if you were trying to have a baby, well, then we have got to do it. Right. So, um, And then once you're done with childbearing, then you really consider definitive surgical management. And then the other piece, which is kind of circling back to what we talked about in the very beginning, is that if you have endo, you have reasons that things inside aren't normal, you will get a reflexive muscle spasm in the pelvis. And so even if I do the hysterectomy or I resect all the endo, if I forget to address that pelvic floor, you're still going to be in pain. And that's the biggest mistake I see. Um, And patients come to me is that they've had this other stuff done, they've got a diagnosis, but nobody's ever talked to them about those pelvic floor muscles, or mm-hmm. even treated them. And so it's like when we have a patient who comes with kidney failure, for example, mm-hmm. we don't just all go, oh, I guess the kidneys aren't working. Mm-hmm. What do we do? We look higher yeah. and we say, why are the kidneys not working? Mm-hmm. Oh, look, they have really high blood pressure. Yeah. So when we just say, oh, oh, you have um, pelvic floor pain, I guess you just have it. Nothing's yeah. wrong. You know, mm-hmm. you need to look and see yeah. what is causing that. And so I think we're seeing this shift in healthcare for Mm -hmm. women, where we've got more women more than ever who are gynecologists and obstetricians or who are in medicine and who are listening. And there's just still, unfortunately, like not enough research and new stuff. But for the most part, I think we're getting a shift. So I hope that answers your question yeah, about the does. treatment. And no, then it, it absolutely does. There's some other does. medicines like um, Orlissa. Yeah, and, uh, that's Luke where I was going to go. Yeah, like these are really great because they shut down and they block estrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a shortcut way to say it, but they basically block estrogen. And estrogen is what is driving a lot of the problems in endometriosis. Now, they do have side effects because if I give you anything that blocks estrogen, I'm, estrogen, I'm making you essentially menopausal. So hot flashes, joint pain, some insomnia, Mm -hmm. but they're very like subtle and self-limiting and we can give you some progesterone back usually to help mitigate some of those. Um, But I think if you're someone who's debilitated by pain, pain. but you've been, but the key with the Orlissa and the other things is people throw those on before they've made a diagnosis Mm -hmm. and that's the mistake. So no, I wouldn't use Orlissa unless you've had a laparoscopy and they've diagnosed you with with endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And then yes, it's a good adjunctive tool as we're managing your pain and shutting down your cycle and we're making sure we did the resection, like all of those things. But to just simply like give people or Alyssa, yeah. no. Like mm-hmm. it's just a temporizing thing. Mm-hmm. You yeah. need a diagnosis. You need to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, going into, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, our we're all in our 40s, late 40s, early 40s, mid 30s. We had some questions come in about vaginal dryness and mm. pain during sex. Yeah. What do you recommend? Yeah. So the pain during sex component, I would still, there's a few things. So vaginitis is super common. And when I say vaginitis, that sort of encompasses like yeast infections, Mm -hmm. bacterial vaginitis, which is an overgrowth of normal bacteria that live in the vagina. 
And I'll take it a step back because I always like to explain it like the vagina is this utopian society of bacteria and <laughs> yeast and things that utopian just society. live together like in perfect harmony. It's yeah. a self-cleaning oven. Mm-hmm. It yeah. does everything how it should. Now, what happens when you get some of these things, like anything can do this and everybody's different, but like certain condoms, spermicides, an IUD presence for some people, um, going swimming, uh, being at the wrong pool, wearing, you know, all the different things mm-hmm. can all of a sudden like... You went to the really wrong pool. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but one thing people don't... don't yeah, that I know, pool. that pool's not good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so funny. Um, but the problem people don't realize even actually you shouldn't even use soap, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a self... Like soap yeah. kills some of the good bacteria, and that causes an overgrowth either way. And so you can get a yeast infection. Usually what we see in that case is bacterial vaginitis. And it's like, once you get that, mm-hmm. it's so frustrating because it just can continue to happen. Um, and I think recognizing like your body is designed and made in a beautifully wonderful way. And that includes the vagina. Mm-hmm. And the bacteria and yeast and things that are in there are yeah. perfect. And so to put things in and mess with it yeah. is not a good plan. Mm-hmm. Like we never recommend douching. We do not recommend um, things, but some people are more sensitive. And so like spermicides or certain mm-hmm. things can cause a little funky um, mix in the, the bacteria flora. So what do we say then? So if I have somebody who is also aging and even in your early 30 or mid thirties, you can have some months where those egg quality, it all comes back to estrogen, right? Mm-hmm. So that egg mm-hmm. quality isn't as good. Um, some women don't have any systemic symptoms like insomnia and hot flashes, mm-hmm. but they have vaginal dryness and mm-hmm. the dryness is usually from like some lower estrogen. Um, and so if we, um, have patients who are like that, the answer is just to give you vaginal estrogen cream and it fixes, again, it's the fountain of youth for the vagina and for women. And so in the vagina, there's actually so many in the cells receptors for estrogen that um, what we see is if you're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, it actually goes back to the the tissue gets really thin and almost like premenarchal or that's a fancy science word for like before you have a period. So when you're a child, Mm -hmm. right, the vagina is not made to have sex in that time frame, And also when you get older, but see, we're living so long, it's like, no, my vagina still wants to be made for sex (laughs) when I'm 55. Mm -hmm. So how do we fix that? We just give vaginal estrogen cream. It's local. There's no systemic absorption. You don't need any other support. And often that's enough. And I have women who are on systemic hormones and they still have the vaginal dryness and we add the cream. So Mm -hmm. that cream works so well, like within two weeks, it fixes so many problems. And because it helps bulk up the vaginal tissue, it helps restore that normal size utopian society. So Mm -hmm. as you start to get thinning, you'll notice like some of these women also get more yeast infections, more BV, and they get more UTIs because the tissue isn't as thick. And so the urethra doesn't have that same support. And so they can get more bacteria in the urethra and bladder. So the vaginal estrogen, again, it's like my go-to. I prescribe Mm -hmm. it all the time. And one other place that it's prescribed that's so important people don't talk about is after you have a baby. So once you have a baby, your hormones are through the roof. But that moment that placenta comes out, it's like all of a sudden they go, and they're like down to zero. And if you're breastfeeding, your estrogen is super low. And so a lot of healing postpartum women- Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I never knew that. um, Yeah, they're like tears, you know, we sew them back, but that needs estrogen too. So Mm -hmm. we often will prescribe it in that postpartum period because we see at six weeks, it's not all the way healed or it's sandpapery or dry. It's just the same, like, again, it's not- Mm-hmm. super in-depth from a physiology standpoint. It's literally just low estrogen yeah. that drives so many of the problems that women have. That would have, have been yeah. good to know 13 years ago. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. We, we should have given you some estrogen Dang. cream. Yeah. We should have given you some cream. 
I mean, it it works wonders. Yeah, wonders. Yeah. So, so another question, we had a lot of questions come in about uh, labiaplasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us about this. This is like, this is becoming more common. I think, you know, maybe 15 years ago, it was like, what? You're doing what? Yeah. And now it's becoming, you know, more, more common, yeah. more yeah. talked about, more. Yeah. I think there's, there's like the structural criteria where we would say like, this is anatomically abnormal mm-hmm. and causes problems. And mm-hmm. I think a hundred percent those need to be fixed. And actually the problem we have is something that miffs me is I even did a peer to peer recently with an insurance company and they like have zero coverage for labioplasty because they view it all as cosmetic. And I'm like, I'm sorry if your labia minora are 14 centimeters long, they Mm -hmm. don't even stay in your bathing suit and they rub and you can't work. That's not cosmetic. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of women who end up getting labia minora hypertrophy over time. Um, we've, specifically seen if people have gained weight and lost weight or if they started on the larger side and then they rub, that will Mm -hmm. um, induce growth. And so some of that is like physiologic, but then can cause consequences. So in those patients, we should absolutely be doing it. But there's a problem in our country where we, again, think that that's cosmetic Mm -hmm. and we're not supplying people with resources to get that fixed because it can't. It can totally be painful. Now, then there's the other group that like people just don't like the way they look or they want it to look a certain way. Like, I'm not opposed to that. Like, sure, you can. There's just, you know, fix it. But there is a real subset of patients who don't even realize like this isn't normal. And I'm always like, no. Yeah. (laughs) No. Like we've been, again, conditioned to think so many things are are normal. So um, labiaplasty is a pretty straightforward procedure. I really enjoy doing vaginal surgery for like post delivery and mm-hmm. um, labioplasty because I feel like I love that aesthetic thing or I feel like after a bowling ball comes out, if I can make it look like nothing happened, yeah. that's like amazing, right? That like I, amazing. I really enjoy that. Like right after delivery, I'm like, look, it looks like nothing happened, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how it should be, right? Like we yeah. should want it to be put back correctly yeah. and in the right way. But even in labioplasty, it's super gratifying to feel mm-hmm. like somebody is like debilitated or even mm-hmm. if they just are really unhappy. Mm-hmm. I just want you to, I always tell people like do things for the right reasons, right? Yeah. If you have like a whole lot of self-worth issues and anxiety and depression, like doing cosmetic procedures is, is it, probably no. not going to solve yeah, you. Right, no. But if you're somebody who feels like confident who you are and this is important to you and you feel like it's something, then you should do all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, we just want to make sure we're doing them for the right reasons. Yeah. Now, and I can't control that. Yeah. But I always try as a physician to just like no. throw that in there. Like, Screen them. Let's, <laughs> let's be sure yeah. we're, yeah. because as a surgeon, you know, if my therapeutic relationship is off yeah. and I do these things for somebody, and I'm sure you feel this way, right? Yeah. Like if you're doing cosmetic anything, they need to be like trusting of you mm-hmm. and they need to know that like, hey, sometimes complications happen or it's yeah. not going to look perfect yeah. or how you expect. And I need to know that you're like in a sound mind mm-hmm. to understand that. Like I'm a human, you're a human, yeah. and it's not always going to look exactly what you thought it was going to look yeah. like. So I need to know that you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Does that make sense? I know. How do you yeah. balance that in the cosmetic world? Because I know people are going to have like I think certain expectations. People, yeah. people ask about it here all the all time. The t- yeah. You yeah. know, I you, think, who do you recommend? Yeah. Can you come in? Can we get it done here? We're like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think part of even with my cosmetic patients, it's realistic expectations. Right. And I'm very clear to make those. Like, you know, and part of when I'm seeing a patient doing an exam, I'm screening them mm-hmm. because sometimes I think it is a, like a body dysmorphia image, like, sure, uh, you know, problem. And I don't, think that necessarily anything that I'm going to do is going to help them. I think it's for some patients, it can be more harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, and then we talk about it. I've actually, (laughs) 
I've actually referred a few patients to counseling. One left, one went to counseling and still comes back to me. And she says it's, you know, it's helped her. But I think the patients have to be doing it for the right reason. I have to be doing it for the right reason. Sure. And then we talk about realistic expectations. Because when someone comes in and say they want a thread lift in their face and they're, you know, pulling their face all the way back, well, that's not my stop. That's a facelift. And for some patients, that's where you you need to go. (laughs) You know, and I tell them realistically, the amount of money I'm going to charge you for the work I'm going to do in what you really need, in all honesty, is that skin removed. Like, save that money and go do what you really need. Like, right. don't, you know, so, you know, realistically, if you tilt your head back, that's a lift you're going to get with threads. So I think that I spend, and Holly's heard me before, I spend a lot of time just talking about realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk to all my patients about, you know, you, you know, like even doing lip filler, like they're not going to be a hundred percent symmetric. Like your lips aren't symmetric anyway, but mm-hmm. I can get pretty dang close, but it's just, you know, talking about the risks, talking about the ex- expectations and then deciding if the risks and the benefits are worth it. So, um, yeah, but I do have a lot of patients asking about this. So yeah. it's, yeah, yeah, I think if people, um, want it to be done. It's a pretty straightforward mm-hmm. procedure in yeah. experienced hands for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we are almost running out of time, but we wanted to um, end this conversation with what is the number one thing that your patients ask you to improve their middle-aged sex life? If um, you could say one thing. Yeah. I think um, the estrogen. <laughs> Estrogen is, yes, definitely one of them. But I think people don't come Notice ask. it's not testosterone. It's not. No, they seem to be fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not testosterone. testosterone, actually. And there's a lot of, um, you know, worry about doing a lot of testosterone, especially if that's not the thing. So um, I get this question a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a few parts to the answer. So if you'll bear with me. The first is that um, it's really hard in this age frame to, for women to be able to turn off all the responsibility, all the things that Mm -hmm. are happening, all the stuff, right? Because women are so different. We're wired different. And um, there's actually a lot of literature in the science world or the doctoring world about, um, again, that mental load and just the load of having kids and things like that, that and the requirement it takes to get women sort of like, I guess for lack of a better term, in the mood or to mm-hmm. feel like they can let go of all those things to then uh, participate. So I think that's one piece. Mm-hmm. The second piece is that um, there's so many misconceptions about what's normal. So really, I think the percentage is like 10 to 15% of women are able to have an orgasm without manual stimulation. And so then that drives, I think, a lot of women feeling like they're not normal when actually they are Mm -hmm. very normal. Um, And I think there's also a lot of sort of drive that what's normal is most married couples are having sex like every day or three times a week. And that's actually not true if we look at statistics. So um, I think, you know, finding um, a place where you're comfortable with your partner and you have a conversation, there's always going to be probably differing sex drives and that might change over time. But we do see actually women in their mid to late forties have like the sex drives um, on between men and women start to change a little bit where typically younger men because of testosterone are driven to have higher sex drives than women. And then you have all the family stuff that gets in the way and the wife and the mom stuff, but like mid to late forties, that sort of seems to cross. And so 
we often see that as long as the estrogen's right and we're not having pelvic pain and things like that, that women will see maybe that their libido increases. But you have to also temper that with the last part, which is so many patients come to us and they say, I don't have a good sex drive and I want to try that pill or I want this. And when we actually talk to them, it's because they're depressed and they're mm-hmm. anxious and they aren't in a great place. Yeah. And so naturally you're not going to be like, oh, I feel great about my, I feel terrible about myself mm-hmm. and I'm depressed and anxious or I don't like my body. Even if you've been with a partner, then you're like not going to be sort of having the sex drive, right? So mm-hmm. I think the best answer I try to give is to say, let's work on you and make you the best version of yourself. And let's make sure we're not having untreated depression and anxiety. Let's make sure you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. Let's do all of that first. And let's set realistic expectations about what's normal and not normal um, in for a woman and then also within a partnership. And then if we're still, and Mm -hmm. give you estrogen cream Mm -hmm. and make sure, right? Like all the things. And then if we're still not there, Let's talk about some of these other things. But mm-hmm. I think people just want to jump to like, oh, I think I need testosterone and I want to try that add eye pill or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. But Instant gratification. Correct, right? Like yeah. the actual work that needs to be done yeah. is much harder. Yeah, and holistically, mm-hmm. like a pill is not the answer mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so really trying to work on those things. But it's true that media, again, and I think pornography and a lot of, you know, this focus on women's bodies and sex and how much sex people are like that uh, just like everything else in the media is so probably off from the truth yeah I think you and your partner just have to have a conversation be realistic Mm -hmm. and then at that same token I see a lot of men who end up like not believing that their partner has something yeah and so that drives problems too and Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily because they're trying to be malicious but it's like when you're saying I have vaginal dryness or pain and you're going around and no one's giving you like answers, Mm -hmm. then sometimes the partners start to go like, why? But Mm -hmm, there is real problems. They're just not seeing the right doctors or getting the right care. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. What do you think about maca? I don't... Do you know anything I don't even know what that is. A lot of people take maca. It's... Oh, well, now I need to look it up. (laughs) Some people say it does that. You've been talking about this for years. What is it? Well, I'm interested. It's just... It's a natural herb. Uh, I mean, you can go get it in your smoothie. uh, Like a lot of the, you know, like... Clearly, I'm not drinking very many smoothies. <laughs> <laughs> you need to maybe lay off a Holly monster. Will have you with it's lots just of maca, a natural, and, like, you know, hormone yeah. replacement, they say. But I don't really know if it is. I don't know if it's just it makes you feel like, you know, I don't know. Listen, it's, I'm not anti-placebo effect. You okay? know? So there's something Seriously. about thinking that you're doing something yeah. that does help. But uh-huh. there is some, like, um, you know, soy products that do cross with estrogen. And Mm -hmm. so um, some of those they've seen can help or change things. But I just always say like, if I have something that's like FDA approved and precise Mm -hmm. and like controllable that will do a really good job and is super safe, why would we want to do like Mm -hmm. black cohosh? (laughs) In your smoothie? Like I can give you your life. I can, I mean, maybe do it, but like not, but like if you're expecting that to be your savior, like, like we can do it safely with real medicine and you can get your life back. Yeah. So it's like just reducing some of the fear sometimes of those things and understanding the real, like we talked about in the very beginning, right? Like real risk, real Mm -hmm. benefit and prioritizing the fact that your quality of life is just as valuable as this like esoteric. And actually prioritizing 
prioritizing you. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends, girlfriends, they're they are like, I haven't been to the doctor in like five years. It's like, really? Why? Do you not have medical insurance? Oh, no, I do. It's like, yeah. well, you should go. Yeah. Just prioritizing yeah. yourself, making yourself, you know, number one and getting your health in order is yeah. priority. And I, I do think to what you were saying, it and then everything starts to really flow. Yeah. Um, with life. So much gets better. It does. Mm-hmm. It Your, really does. The sex life gets better. Your relationships get better. Mm-hmm. You're happier. You know, yeah. I mean, these are the goals I have. Yeah. It's true. Right? <laughs> but it's true. I don't pretend to be there. But yeah. yeah, I think, you know, seeing so many women come in, that's probably yeah. the biggest gist I have. Yeah. Is like we really just grace, prioritization, mm-hmm. take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest falls into place. That's true. Yeah. Well, thank you, Courtney. We really appreciate My you pleasure. coming here today. You're so awesome. Yeah. Oh, I it's had so, so much fun. I love, like I said, I love talking about yeah. these things. I just, I'm just like the rest of everybody. I think most yeah. doctors pretend, potentially don't come off that way, but they really are just yeah. like, we're just regular people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would yeah. say not most, but some doctors don't come off that way. And so I think, we're just regular people like you trying to navigate yeah. life and being a mom and a working yeah. mom and a wife and a daughter and all the hats, all, all the, the things. things, all the things. All yeah. the things. But yeah. I love getting to talk with you guys. You guys yeah. are awesome and Thank inspiring so as well. So Thank, thank you, you so much. We learned a lot. <laughs> My pleasure. All right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on our first podcast of hey. Just a Smidge More. And I love it. <laughs> we will see you on the next all episode. Right. Thank you. Thank you.